0: Thank you for tuning in to How to Survive in America. I am your host, Robert Jenkins. Hey everybody! I am thrilled and honored to bring uh, this guest to us. Uh, She agreed to sit down and talk to us about homeschooling and education, and you know the situation we're currently in. It's obvious that uh, parents are going to have to begin to supplement their children's education, and a lot of folks are very overwhelmed with that. They don't know where to start. Um, So I thought that back and thought long and hard and I found the perfect person to come in and speak with us. Um, Dr. Ronnie Dean Buren. Hey everybody. Say hi.
1: Hi everybody.
0: (laughs) Good. It's right. It's right. i remember this is, uh, you know, her other than the mother of dragons.
1: <laughs> That's right. Mother of dragons. <laughs>
0: yes, mother right. of dragons. That's right. That's right. What well, get a hold of somebody on social media. Tear their ass up.
1: Tear them up. <laughs> won't clinch at all.
0: hmm Now, if y'all notice, I call her Dr. Rondine Buren because she has a doctorate. What's your background? Doctor? So
1: my I was a classroom teacher for 11 years uh, in Texas, taught high school English. I taught ninth grade, 10th grade, and 12th grade. And then after that, I moved into a district leadership position. I was a curriculum specialist over sixth to 12th grade English language arts. Then, because I love school so much, I went back to school and got my PhD in Mm -hmm. curriculum and instruction. So, uh, and now I go into schools as a consultant. So, a school will call and say, Hey, listen, we're looking at our disciplinary actions and we want to see how we can improve them, or we want to improve our seventh grade reading and writing test scores. What can you do to help us? So, that's kind of working.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So, with your doctorate, the area that you cover? Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. The area that I cover. So, my my background like i said the the degree is in curriculum and instruction so what i literally studied was curriculum theory like how do we write curriculum and how do we teach like what makes sense for teaching so i took courses like for example the history of reading the history of learning of course child development courses. Um, But that is so that I can then have conversations about schools and parents about what their kids should be learning when, right? This is how you sort of, uh, I believe, in spiral curriculum, right? So you learn something, but you don't ever leave it, right? You always are spiraling that back in. Like if you think about it from a math standpoint, once you learn to count, counting is spiraled all the way up to calculus right you're always doing it um and so the same likewise with reading and writing you're sort of always practicing drawing a conclusion you're always practicing that and so that's kind of what the degree entails is looking at what what kids learn and how they learn it and looking at what teachers teach and how they teach it Uh, a lot of conversations i have with teachers Uh, They'll say, but you know, we'll look at some of their test scores and they'll say, but I taught that. And I'm like, but did they learn it? Because that's two different things, right? To be standing (laughs) in front of people saying a thing doesn't mean that they're learning a thing. So a a lot of the the coursework I did was around how to help teachers teach better. That's the instructional part.
0: Awesome. Awesome. That's, hey, that's great. That's (laughs) right up. It's right up the alley for what we're talking about. I mean, Uh um, can you go through like your typical interaction with a teacher? Like if you come in as a consultant, can you run through that real quick sure
1: absolutely so I'll um, I'll come in um, and, and I'll use one school for example this year was a it's called a turnaround school so this is a school that uh, is by standards in Texas which that's a whole nother conversation uh, was going to be a, a closed school and of course you know it was full of black and brown kids but again another another topic <laughs> another time um, but it was one of those schools and so they were really wanting to help their teachers improve their writing they are reading and writing and so So one of the conversations I always have with principals before I go in is I tell them do not expect me to have conversations about reading that are devoid of writing and don't expect me to have conversations about writing that are devoid of reading because that is what literacy is they are connected we don't separate the two so they'll assign me to a teacher or two they'll say we really want you to work with all the 10th grade teachers so the first thing i do is i'll I'll watch their classes for about two days right i kind of want to see their rhythm i want to watch things i want to see what's going on Um, and during that time i'm sort of taking notes the first thing i'm taking notes about are classroom management So if we can't get kids to sit in their seats and have their eyes forward, then nobody's going to learn anything. So I talk a lot uh, of times about routine and relationships. So I tell teachers, and so I really like to work with schools early in the year, right? Like first week of school, I like to be there. Because if you don't build relationships, you can't have great routines, right? So it, it doesn't matter if my routine is... You can only go to the bathroom the last 10 minutes of class if there's no relationship behind that right okay so if your kid doesn't understand listen i have some really cool things to say the first 30 minutes of class that's why i don't like anyone to go to the restroom after that you can go but without a relationship that just seems like an arbitrary rule Uh, right so the beginning i'm talking about routines and relationships and then i'm looking at literally their class time so i'm looking at if you have the school i was in this year they had 80 minutes and so I'll sit down and I'll literally mark up what's happening every minute of a class. So I'm like, okay, so you spent 20 minutes passing out pencils. That's a waste, mm-hmm. right? So I'm looking at mm-hmm. that. And then the actual structure is to help them integrate reading and writing seamlessly for 80 minutes, right? We want kids to be reading independently. We want kids to be writing. And the way that that happens, uh, what my uh, sort of literacy background is, is that teachers have to be readers and the teachers have to be writers. So if you're going to tell your kids, you should be reading every day for 30 minutes, they need to see you doing that. You need, and, and kids need to have their own choices about reading. Um, I really hate okay. the idea that I give you a book, here's the book, you're going to read it, and you're going to love it. Because every kid doesn't love every, I don't love every book as an adult, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm talking to them a lot about how to help kids pick the right books, how to set up a structured reading time how that is integrated into writing, and then how that has been integrated into the skill that they want to teach, right? And so all of that is back to what I was saying about the coursework in my, for my doctoral program was that spiral, right? We're spiraling in the reading, with the writing, with the skill, back to the reading, back to the writing, back to the skill. It's sort of this constant push and pull of all of those things, Um, and so I'm spending the beginning of my time with teachers, looking at their routines, their relationships, and then looking at how to help them structure their classroom so that they have better routines and better relationships, and then how to structure that around literacy and what what that looks like for, for their particular school and whatever particular standards they're supposed to be teaching.
0: Wow, okay, <laughs> that's amazing. So
1: that's
0: a lot to unpack right there. I'm <laughs> trying to keep up. So all right. Part of this is me asking dumb questions that's what I do. Listen, I, no such so, thing.
1: No such thing. Okay. My teacher voice. Well, no such thing.
0: <laughs> well I would hold on before I said that. All right. So um <clears throat> so would you say that a big portion of what you do in the beginning is essentially auditing? Yes. Like you just okay
1: absolutely what it is.
0: Okay. It's like okay so just like if you had a budget, if you has if you was having money problems, you got to sit back and you got to look at where your money's going and then you yeah. can kind of figure it out. Yeah. Okay. How big of a shock is it to a lot of teachers to see that breakdown of where they think the time is going? Because it seems like it's it would be very different from what they think is going on to the real. Like, so how how big is that shock for a lot of them?
1: It's it's a shocker almost every time. It's a shocker every time. So, like when I come in, a principal will say, "Okay, Dr. Ronnie." here's a binder with this teacher's test scores, right? This is what their kids, how their kids tested on. Maybe they did a pre-assessment, right? Here's where their numbers are, right? And I always say, okay, that's, that's great, you know, but let me see the teacher. Let me, let me watch. And typically, even though I make myself, you know, watch for two days, typically within the first 10 minutes, 15 minutes of watching a class, I can say this: this pro- the, there's a management problem here. Like, the nobody's gonna sit down. Nobody's gonna learn anything if they're like, you know, jumping all over the place. And believe me, I'm a person who believes that kids should be kids. You know, I, I am not a, I was never a quiet classroom person. I don't, quiet makes me a little nervous. Um, so mm-hmm. I like kids talking and all that. But I can typically tell really quickly, you know, where time is being wasted. And then when I sit down with teachers and talk to them about that, um, I always, one question I learned this from a colleague last year. I always ask them, you know, what, what did you intend to teach? What did you intend to teach them today? And they'll say, Oh, I wanted to teach them a dictionary skills. Right? So in Texas, one of the skills that they're tested on is how to use a dictionary. So they said, I want to teach them dictionary, a dictionary skill today. Right. I said, okay, how, and then I asked them, how do you think that went? And they always pause because knowing what you wanted to teach versus what really happened, it shocks them every time. And they'll go, well, I feel like the kids in the front got it, or I feel like those three in the in the corner were whatever. And then that's when I go into, okay, this is what was happening. You started your lesson. And the first thing you did was you told the kids to be quiet, but then you started talking. Like, so I'm sort of pointing out all those. Th- and they're, they're shocked every time they're like, Oh, I didn't know I did that. Or I'll have teachers, I'll, you know, one teacher says, Well, we do independent reading, but my kids don't ever read. I said, Well, let me come in during your independent reading time. Go into her class for independent reading time. All her kids have books. They're all sitting on beanbags. It's it looks good, right? <clears throat> but every time it gets quiet, she starts talking or she starts moving or she'll sharpen a pencil or she gets on her computer or she mm-hmm. and so the kids are just, you know, they're distracted. And I'm like, Well, mm-hmm. yeah, you have reading time but here are all the things you did during reading time. So I read her the list. You sharpened pencils for three minutes. You checked your email for four. You went over to this student and gave him a treat for something that he did yesterday. Like, Mm -hmm. just like, oh my God, I'm the reason they aren't reading. And I was like, kind of.
0: You said it. (laughs) You said it, not me.
1: You said it. But like, it's so much more powerful when they can arrive at that instead of me Mm -hmm. saying, It's your fault your kids aren't reading. Like that's never gonna work. But if I showed them these are the things you did, you know, this is what I wrote down, you know, tell me what you think about that. And she was just like, I'm a distraction. Like I'm I don't and then I and then she was like, and then I'm not reading. So why do they think it's important if I'm not doing it? I'm like, Well, there you go. My work here is done. There you go. There
0: you go. So it's it's one of those things, it's like do as I say, not as I do.
1: Yeah, yeah. It it really Mm -hmm. has you know, teacher modeling it is so powerful like to be able to when kids see you doing something i mean you think about just kids in your life right if you're playing with kids and you're introducing a new game to them that they think is silly they might not want to play but when they see you do it they're like well there's a grown-up and they're doing it so it must be important um Mm -hmm. and and kids really feel that when it comes to reading and writing you know they sometimes i think that teachers as writers like that we sit down we write things and like we write a a final draft the first time out right right but we don't no nobody does like Mm -hmm. authors the the greatest authors of our time you know they talk about you know you're writing constantly you're all revising.
0: i mean there's no great there's only great rewriting
1: yes yes that's it like that's literally it that's it i'm feeling that by the way so
0: oh no go ahead feel free (laughs) i mean i you know, I've been doing comedy. I have my eighth year comedy anniversary on the fifth.
2: Uh-huh.
0: So and I can sit back, I can show you notebooks where I literally rewrote the same joke 50 times for one word. One word. <laughs> like it's one weird. Word. It's yeah. you know, that's how important it is.
1: And so when kids see that, so when kids see that I'm up at the, you know, at the document camera where they can see me writing and they see that I'm struggling with something and I go, I just I don't know how to say this. Having that conversation out loud, kids are amazed. And so then that makes them less afraid, right? So when it's right. their turn to write or when something is embarrassing for them when they're writing, they're not as embarrassed because they've seen me and, I'm, and I always tell them I'm a terrible speller. Like I'm, you know, there are some words that just when it's time for me to spell necessary, it's just not gonna happen for me. It's just never, it's never gonna happen. Uh, definitely is one of those words that every time I'm like, wait a minute, it's finite. Right. And de- like I literally, so when kids know that an adult who has been to school and is a teacher has those same sort of struggles, it sort of, it tamps down the anxiety for writing, right? And in the mm-hmm. same thing with reading. So I read, I, I believe in a read aloud. I believe in reading aloud to students from K to twelfth grade, you know, even big kids, everybody loves to be read to. Everybody, I don't mm-hmm. care who you are, everybody loves to be read to. Um, reading, reading aloud, see, yeah, you love it. Like if I said, mm-hmm. hey, I'm gonna read to you tonight, you'd be like, okay, cool, go. <laughs> yeah. um, but when they see a, a grown up or their teacher, especially reading and stumbling over words makes a huge difference they're like you don't Mm -hmm. oh that was hard for you or i'll be reading you know how you'll read sometimes and you'll get to the end of the page and you're like i have no idea what just happened
0: yeah you gotta go read it yeah i I say
1: that out loud to kids i say y'all i'm gonna go back and read that because i was just calling out words i have no idea i'm gonna start over So okay. all of those things are sort of what, that's what the work looks like for me. Um, I'm, I'm very hands-on, very like.
0: Right, that was what I was going to, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. The I get. Yeah, I'm very hands-on. I want, you know, I'm going to be in there with kids, you know, some teachers who are doing things really well. I, sometimes I just serve as a tutor. Like, I'm like, hey, you got this today. I'm just going to go over here and I may work with the group of kids that's struggling or the group of kids that's ready to go to the mm-hmm. next level or something like that. So it um, <clears throat> that's kind of what it looks like. Um, And then I really try, it's difficult because I may only be in a school one time a week, but I also have to make sure that I'm also building relationships with teachers and kids, right? Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to be in your class every day, Robert, and I'm going to be this person who wants to help you with something, you have to know that I'm authentic. You have to know that I'm, you know, that I'm a real person or whatever. So I spend a lot of time like in the cafeteria, like at lunchtime, I'm sitting in there and they're like, who are you? And I'm like, Oh, I'm just, I'm a teacher's teacher and I'm here. So little things like that to sort of help Mm -hmm. me build that rapport with kids as well.
0: Nice. Okay. So, I mean, in addition to that being so hands-on, it seems like vulnerability is a key to instruction, right? So like sharing things with the children to kind of make you one of them almost
1: absolutely absolutely okay. I, i've actually never even heard it said that way that vulnerability part of teaching like but it's huge you know mm-hmm. um i think ernest hemingway says uh there's nothing to writing you just sit at the typewriter and bleed right bleed.
2: <laughs> yeah
1: and so yeah. i think that that's what teaching too like you get up in front of kids and you just unzip yourself you know like
2: mm-hmm. you
1: have to be that person um and because teaching is a political act, right, that by the very nature of like, when I get up and teach something, whatever story I've chosen, whatever type of genre I'm in, all of that is a political act. It's a statement I'm making. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I better be real genuine if I'm going to get up there and talk to kids about the power of Maya Angelou, you know what I'm saying? Like
2: mm-hmm. right.
1: get up there and just gloss over. She was born here. She died here. She wrote this many book because kids see through that. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. And they're
1: bored in like two seconds with that. But I'm talking about stories about Maya Angelou and how I had an experience with the Maya Angelou poem. And then that caused me to do this. And then I read that poem and I say, you know, a a lot of times I'll read poems to kids and I'll say, you know, this is low stakes, meaning I just want you to listen to the poem and tell me what you think. Like, there's not a quiz on it. There's not like, you know, the the right or wrong way to interpret it. I'm just going to read it to you because it makes me feel something. Um, so doing that with kids is really important because it does create vulnerability and it shows them that there's power in literacy, right? That literacy, Mm -hmm. you know, can bring you to and through emotional states, um, which is why I'm, you know, biased towards literacy because I think, you know, we're everything.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, so when it comes to (laughs) curriculum, I, I saw that you picked, uh, you talk about Maya Angelou, for example, obviously she means something to you, very important to you as a person. Yeah. So when you're teaching kids, how important is it to bring the thing that you care about with you? Because, you know, we got to pique their interest too, but there has to be a balance, right?
1: Yeah. So, and that's where you get in the conversations about choice reading for kids, right? So there are many classics right there are many books that i love many things but a 17 year old or a 15 year old or 13 year old may not love them right so what i'm trying to get kids to do is not necessarily fall in love with maya angelou although if i can get them there for me really tony morrison is my favorite author of all time okay. ever 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 but i love dr angelou right uh, and her poetry so but if, if i can get kids to fall in love with reading that's really the goal right Right, so and if i get them to fall in love with reading then they see the power of reading then i can sort of slide in some of those classics right and uh what research tells us is that when kids have when kids are able to make their own choices about reading right when they can say i want to read this book i want to read that book i even have these conversations with parents right when you take your kid to the bookstore if your kid wants to get a book that has beads attached to it and they're going to read the book and then do the beading let them pick it like let them choose. if they want to do which i'm a big fan of graphic novels if they want to choose graphic let them choose because the research tells us that the more times we give them choices When they have to sit for formal examinations where we don't have a choice, like there are some things that, you know, every state says kids have to read The Grapes of Wrath or whatever, which Mm -hmm. I've never read it. I don't want to read it, but (laughs) they'll say kids have to read that. When kids have had their own choices in every other thing they've read, they're more likely to read The Grapes of Wrath. Number one, because they're good readers. But number two, they can say, Well, I don't really want to read this. This is a required book. I'm going to go ahead and read it. And then I can get back to my own free choice book. Right. Yeah. And it
0: feels more fair to them because they had a lot of say. They're like, Okay, I'll give you that one.
1: exactly that's literally what they say that's because like for example kids are going to take AP exams in in high school you know they're going to sit for those exams and they're going to be given you know classical pieces of literature that are hard to read or whatever so you want they have to be exposed to some of those things right it can't just be the literature that they choose so they have but because they've chosen so much on their own like you said they go I'm gonna give you that I'm gonna Mm
0: -hmm. let you take it that's fair
1: that's fair (laughs) Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and kids are people, you know, that just mm-hmm. adults thrive when there's choice. Kids do, too.
0: Okay. Dovetails nicely with, uh, I guess, the central topic as to why I asked you to come here is because, you know, the current situation that we're in in this country uh, due to the COVID-19 crisis and the crisis that is essentially the Trump administration. Right. Um,
1: because that's a whole crisis,
0: <laughs> it's a whole crisis, a, whole. a crisis and a half.
1: Listen, listen, <laughs>
0: you know, <laughs> man. First of all, I want to apologize for Bessie DeVos. she's from Michigan, and I'm sorry.
1: I'm sorry. That's an example of when you can buy your way into politics. That's just if you got enough money, then here you go.
0: Off, you know, okay, off a pyramid scheme, you know, did you know that? What they got their money from, right? Amway.
1: Yes, yes.
0: That's like,
1: that's that's multi-level marketing. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. That's
0: called the, that's called the goddamn flim flam, the over <laughs> the overlay for the underplay. That's what that shit is. They the original thing. See, when we do it, we get thirty years. <laughs> that's
1: the cross for you know. the double cross. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's exactly what that shit is. Boy. I'm okay you. show you how much people hate them right <laughs> in grand rapids because they're from grand rapids uh-huh. west michigan right uh-huh. there is a club it's like a club but it's also like an arcade kind of and performance venue called the pyramid scheme Stop! <laughs> Stop. <laughs> 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 they patty as fuck and it's towel. <laughs> and it's just like they call it the pyramid scheme and everybody know why they like they, they, they,
1: they
0: call it so get y'all <laughs> <out. laughs> yep they stand their ass wow trip. wow um So given all these things, you know, the school year got ended early this year, kids are out several different districts, depending on where you are, they're talking about not opening schools, talking about opening schools. It's become clear that uh, parents are going to have to supplement their kids' education one way or another, be it, you know, some might just pull them out and decide to do homeschooling. Some of them don't have that option. Right. You know, they don't have that option. So they're going to have to send their kids to public school and then kind of pick up the pieces and fill in the gaps however they can. And it's a very overwhelming thing. You know, if uh, if you would have asked me before the election if this would have been one of the things they fucked up, I might have said no. I didn't know they would fuck this up this bad, bad. you know.
2: Business. You know,
0: nuclear war. Sure. sure. Okay. Nuclear war, sure. all types of stuff. Sure. You know, they robbing everybody blind. I would have thought they at least kept the goddamn school year intact. At
1: least. at least.
0: At least. So I didn't, you know, I didn't see it. I'm sure that a lot of parents didn't see this coming yeah, and they they feel very overwhelmed. So when it comes to that type of thing, like if you, where would you suggest a parent get started if they were interested in the beginning to supplement their kids' education?
1: That's a great question. Um, so here's the start. So let's say, let's deal first, like you said, with a parent that's supplementing, right? Your mm-hmm. kid, you don't, you know, your kid's going back to school, you don't have a choice, they don't have it like, you know, whatever. They, they're going back and you're going to have to supplement. So my best piece of advice for supplementing is reading. Because here's the thing, what, what the loss that we're going to see with kids from March, that's roughly when most of us, I keep saying we still on spring break, right? (laughs)
0: The longest, weirdest spring break ever.
1: Longest, weirdest spring break ever, right? Uh, and, and, And so we always, in education, we're always talking about summer learning loss. You know, kids typically slide about a grade and a half. It could be a grade, maybe a grade and a half in reading, like their reading level. Uh so summer, much? Yeah, it can. It can be. It can oh, be. You and okay. you know. And let me say this. You know, it's more pronounced for Black and Brown children. Uh, it's more pronounced for children who are living at and below the poverty line, because <clears throat> summer. I always say this. Summer is expensive, right? When I was growing up, what I could do in the summer was go swimming and take out them chicken thighs for my mama to cook when she got off work. (laughs) That was my (laughs) summer, right? But I had friends who had summer homes, who were going all over. They had all these experiences. So they were learning. And my mom did what she could. You know, there were some summers we got to, of course we did vacation Bible school. Listen, (laughs) for everybody who's listening, I'm a Southern Baptist child. My father is a preacher. We went to church six days a week, uh, no, seven days a week. And uh, we went to vacation Bible school every (laughs) summer. When you go learn the, 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 the books of the Bible, I'm sorry, I know I'm out. Anyway, (laughs) that was what summer looked like, right? So for for summers, for a lot of Black and brown families who are already making less than their white counterparts, it's like, I can't afford to send my kid to robotics camp, right? So we talk about summer slide, right? And it happens even more so with Black and brown children and children who are living at and below the poverty line. What we're going to see now is we're seeing this huge slide, right? Because kids have been out since March (laughs) and... uh, while parent and 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 remember when we got out in march nobody really knew how long it was going to be so you didn't know like should i be supplementing now like what is that going to look like like because it was always Mm -hmm. changing um and so the one thing i tell parents if you want to start with supplementing start with reading go find your kids a stack of books that they want to read um i called it building your stack um when you are looking for the right book for your kid ask them what they like. If they like comics, listen, I have a son. They are a sophomore in college. They read comic books from here. Everyone, they still read them. And comic books, that's real reading, everybody. So don't don't knock your kids who love comic books and graphic novels. But find your kids six or seven books that they love, right? Find that. Your, Your supplementing should look like You having some reading time every day right just because reading we and we know this and math teachers will tell you this science teachers will tell you this social studies every teacher across content areas will tell you this. Kids who are good readers do well across content right reading is the most transferable skill right so. There's probably not a math formula I use every day. Not that I don't use math, so math people don't get mad at me. I'm not saying I don't use math. I do. I know I do. I I bake a lot. So there's a lot of math there, fractions, and I got to do a lot of work. But (laughs) when I have to read a recipe, that's a reading skill, right? When I am in a history class, that's a reading skill. If I'm reading the scientific method, that's a reading skill. So we want kids to be very strong readers right so that's the first way you want to supplement make sure your kids are like just like you have dinner or family game time have family reading time if your kid likes magazines that's reading like literally when they're reading an advertisement and ask them you know what is this selling and what do you think they're trying to say like and and talk to them Ah, about what they're reading
0: the critical thinking
1: yes yes because you know we have adults who, who can't figure out that the onion is a satirical website So Mm -hmm. (laughs) we want to have conversations with kids about ads, right? So that that
0: problem happened 25 years ago. Nobody told them and here they are.
1: Here they are. Here they are. Um, And then I would say the other way you want to supplement is finding, and there's some really good ones literally in the bookstore. Go to the bookstore and go to the little section that has like workbooks. Literally find the third grade math workbook. Give it take it (laughs) have them work a page or two every other day something like that uh and then then ask the teacher what they want them to be working on so for example one of the things that kids a lot of times my own children struggled with drawing an inference right so when you're reading something what do you infer about the reading so the answer to an inference is never there right it's reading between Mm -hmm. the lines right right my kids were always like huh? So we did a lot of supple. all of my supplementing had them like, I, we would literally watch people walking. I'd be like, where, where do you think they're going? Well, how do you know that? Well, they have flip flops on, they have a tap, like literally doing that. Mm-hmm. But also talk to the teacher about what are some areas that you need little Shantae to work on as well, right? And how can I work on them? Listen, teachers are a wealth of knowledge. And anytime you, I don't know any teacher who says, I can't help you, find a supplemental guide. They're always out there. Um, And also for Math Khan Academy, uh, they just have really cool stuff. Really, really cool. Do you
0: you mind spelling that real Uh, quick?
1: K-H-A-N
0: Academy. All right, cool.
1: Um, And then another website uh, that I really am a fan of for, and it may be for older kids only, but I'm not sure. It's called Radical Math. Dot org. So radicalmath.org. And they address math from a social justice uh, lens.
0: Oh, okay. And it's really
1: cool. It's really, really cool. Um, so I would suggest that. Um, as far as supplementing for science, uh, I would say, you know, figure out if your kids like to, um, if they like to either bake, if they like just, there's so many home experiments Literally do once a week do a science experiment. It could be the most basic ones base you know bacon soda and vinegar, watch us make mm-hmm. a volcano, whatever you know, having some of those just basic conversations about what science about science and how things you know uh, interact with each other. Um, I did homeschool my daughter for two years and she was really into like beauty. So we made bath bombs, we talked about nail polish, polish remover, like, like what's in it. We did baking, like all of that was our sort of science piece. Let your kids help you cook. Cooking is so much science, right? The reason that you can make mayonnaise or aioli, whatever you want to call it, is because you have to emulsify the oil with the egg yolk. And like, that's a whole...
0: If you call it aioli, you got to have your pinky up when you say aioli. Aioli is like really
1: fancy mayonnaise. (laughs) I call it mayonnaise. It's all mayonnaise to me. But if y'all want to call it aioli because you put some red peppers in it, fine. It's still mayonnaise. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so yeah those will sort of be ways that you can kind of hit all those areas and then also with your with your kids reading um, remember that like I said all reading matters okay all reading matters so you may have kids let me say this let me say this because this is really important the pickiest readers everybody the pickiest readers tend to be boys um and they are i find for me they are my hardest group to sort of find just the right book part of it is because we raise boys in a society to believe that uh having girls as main characters is a girl book so there are a lot of books that boys won't read because the main character is a girl uh whereas girls will read anything right but the point is is that boys tend to be and and again this i could go on a whole conversation about why we also need more uh black male teachers um to show that reading is cool um but just men in general showing reading is cool i think that's some of the issue with that we see with boys and reading um is they sort of struggle with this idea of like that's girl stuff like math is for boys and reading is for girls but yeah again, but remember that kids should also read nonfiction books you know they shouldn't just read stories if they want to read a book about motorcycles if they want to read a book about origami and how to do it <clears throat> that's reading. A lot of kids love historical fiction books. Like there's some books. And after this, uh, I'll send you an email with some, some great books, um, about history. Um, Mm -hmm. there's so many great books that talk about American history, but with a kid's lens and they're hilarious. They're hilarious. Mm -hmm. They poke fun at the forefathers. You know, they, I mean, they do so much. Um, so those kind of books are good, too, because in that way, you're sort of hitting the history for kids, but also the reading. So if you can mm-hmm. hit two birds with one stone, if they love books about animals, again, they're doing science and reading. So think about uh, their reading in terms of more than just novels and stories. Right. Maybe get them mm-hmm. three or four stories, three or four graphic novels, three or four, uh, you know, books about animals and share books like don't. If you're a parent and you're, you have to supplement this year. Don't break the bank, get into a group with some other kids that are going to be in your class or the same age and say, listen, I'm going to buy these books. (laughs) I'll buy those. Mm -hmm. Let's get the kids together once a week to do a book swap, you know, things like that. Uh, That way, you know, you're not getting fussed at by your partner for spending all your money at Amazon. I'm, I'm just saying, right. I might be speaking
0: from a little bit of experience, but I, I'm, <laughs> I'm not <spending> <laughs> yeah. I, will, I won't pursue that line of questioning. Mm-hmm. Uh, leave it alone,
1: leave speak, it alone.
0: <laughs> speak Speaking of history, I'm glad you brought up history because one of the first things that I that I know about you <laughs> is I, if you don't want to share this story, we don't have to. But one of the first things I know about you is an incident with a history textbook at your at your son's school district they found a, a, a error
1: yes yes they my <laughs> an, yeah. error, an error air error quote yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: found it, yes my my son was in ninth grade and uh so i'll say this always when i tell this story i always use it to brag just a little bit because my son is a reader they're still a reader And when their teacher said, go read chapter four, they literally went to read it. (laughs) They literally sat down and said, okay, I'm going to read chapter four. And chapter four had these graphics in the front. And again, one thing we talked about when we taught them how to read and how to, you know, dissect a piece of, you know, reading, you know, you read the captions, you read this, how you read a map, whatever. So when they were reading it, it was, the chapter was about immigration and it said, it showed a a map of the United States and it had patterns of immigration. And at the top near the New York area, it talked about the the Italian immigration. Uh, At the bottom near Texas, New Mexico, it talked about um, Mexican immigrants. And then over in the South Carolina, Virginia area, it said um, Africans were brought over during this, it said during the slave trade, Africans were brought over as workers to work on Southern plantations. And, <laughs> and so my son took a picture of that and they sent it to me and they wrote, um, you know, they, uh, we was real hard workers, right? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, was, we was really working. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. So I took that and of course I sent it to, I put it on Facebook and I'm like, y'all look at this mess, you know, whatever. So everybody's like, what, what are you, what is, this is crazy. This is wild. I can't believe that a book, you know, did this. So everybody was like, where did it come from? What's the book? Well, I found the textbook the next day and I was going to take some pictures and show them, but I said, you know what, let me make a quick video. It's just easier to show them the book on a video, flip my camera, my phone uh, camera on said, Hey, y'all were talking about this book yesterday. Let me just show you. So I showed them the book. I said, you know, here's the section, here's where it says Patterns of Immigrant, you know, showed it and literally posted it and, and walked away, was thinking, fine, I went to go get That's my- I license. go. Listen, I went to go get my driver's license and I tell people all the time, I'm so mad because I wasn't, I didn't even have like my, my good makeup on that day. Like I was looking basic. <laughs> 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 so I, I posted the video, I went to the DMV, I got there, of course I had to wait and I looked up, you know, and I posted the video and maybe 45 minutes later it had about a thousand views. And I thought, okay, I mean, that's kind of mm-hmm. a lot of views, but, you know, no, no biggie, right? Then later that evening, it had like 5,000 views. And I thought, well, you know, I have a lot of Facebook friends. I had At the time, I had like 5,000. I was like, that's just my Facebook friends are watching it. So then later that night, a friend said, hey, my brother who lives in Seattle shared your video. And I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, again, still not Mm -hmm. thinking of it. So the next morning I was going to New Orleans on a girls trip and a work trip, kind of combined in one. I was in the car with my cousins and my sisters. And so the drive from Houston to New Orleans is six hours. So somehow we woke up that morning and we were like, the video is at 10,000 views. Like, that's weird. I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. you're like, ha ha, right? Ha ha. As we were driving, literally every hour the video was getting like 20,000 hits every hour. So we're driving along, they're like, it's at 50, drive another hour. It's at 70, drive another hour. It's at 90. Just like, wait, hold hold up. Like People are really watching this. Um, And Mm -hmm. then later that night... McGraw Hill responded they said you know we can do better we shouldn't have done this blah 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 you know we'll change it the next time we print the book well of course that's complete bullshit because books stay in print for 10 years right yeah and we're Texas and so we're an adoption state which means that the books that they make for Texas they send to everybody because well Texas California and Florida tend to be adoption states because we have such high populations so it's not like they're going to rewrite a book because you know Virginia wants it to look a certain way. They're generally going to go with the books that California, Texas, and Florida like, right? Okay. And of course the Hicks here liked that, I'm sure. Um, I'm sure. <laughs> so um, so then the next day it hit a million views. And once that happened, I would say that's when the wonkiness kind of came. Like, because here, they
0: come, right? here they
1: come. Here they come. And so then I was heading back to Houston after the weekend and um <clears throat> local news called me, said, Hey, we would like to interview you and your son. Can we do that? I said, Sure. I'm thinking it's just gonna be a local news story, right? They're gonna come over channel thirteen, Houston's ABC station, they come over. Of course my whole family is here because you know, that's how we do, right? Yeah, <laughs> right, right, right,
0: right. Right. <laughs> We gonna be in the background of something.
1: My sister was cleaning off the top of my refrigerator. She was like, girl, you cannot have this junk on here because Black Twitter will drag you for having a junk yep. kitchen. I was like, thank you sis, I appreciate it, right?
0: Awesome. I'm just su- I'm surprised anybody make you hold a mixtape. <laughs> just like, come on, just, just, so just put it up cousin, real quick, put it down.
1: My cousin, little Slim, he had made this.
0: <laughs> I was listening to this right when I- I was listening to
1: this right before I made the video. <laughs> this way i got my courage from. <laughs> so they you know shoot the little thing it comes on that night that's like a sunday night right i post a video on a thursday so this is sunday night I've, i'm on local tv we watch it oh blah blah family like oh that's cute so i'm getting ready to go to bed <clears throat> and i get an email no a phone call that night at like maybe 10 30 o'clock at our time in houston and <clears throat> It was a lady, I can't remember her name right now. She said, Hi, I'm such and such from the Washington Post. And I said, From what? I'm, you know, whoever from the mm-hmm. Washington Post, and we're gonna run the story about the t- textbook as our lead story on our on our webpage in the morning. And I wanted to see if I could get a couple of quotes from you. And I was like, What? <laughs> like
0: I didn't know that you- part.
1: Yeah, I was like, what are you? You want to talk to me? She was like, yeah, it's like this story, it's, it's all over the country. And I was just like, okay. So she asked a few questions, get out of the phone. Okay, fine. No big, Again, I'm still thinking no big deal, right? The next morning, my son's principal calls me because my son was going to the school that I used to teach at. And so I knew the principal. And the principal called me and he said, hey, Ronnie, just wanted you to know that we saw your story in the Washington Post and, you know, really proud of, you know, your son and blah, blah, blah. So, okay, great. So, again, I'm thinking, fine. 8.30 in the morning, another call. Hi, this is the New York Times. Then it was literally a full day. New York Times. CNN. Like, it just... Became a whole whatever, and so by the you
0: know when one of them jump on it, they not gonna they not gonna let them have the <laughs> scoop. Here, here they all come, all it's of like, them. It's no, like no, I'm, I'm not just word. going
1: Yes, exactly. So then by the third day, I think that Wednesday was when I got a call from the Larry Wilmore show when he still had a show mm-hmm. on Comedy Central. Hi, I'm a producer from the Larry Wilmore show. We'd like to fly you out for the show, and I was like what? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. what are you saying to me? Like, we want to fly you out. Larry saw your story. He thinks it's great. He wants to talk to you on camera. I'm like, you want me to be on, like, I'll be on the show, like on Comedy Central. <laughs> He's like, yes. I was like, man, okay, sure. Uh, so yeah, that week was just sort of a, a lot of times I look back on it and it's a whirlwind, right? Um, yeah. just people there, like you said, nobody wants to not have the exclusive story. Um, And at the time, I was still at U of H, uh, working on my my PhD. Um, But I got invited to speaking engagements and things like that. And really, you know, I always say, the only person that put me on was my son, right? Right, (laughs) because he didn't want to find it. Exactly. So really, since then, I have been able to, and, you know, luckily, I was sort of in the right place at the right time, right? I was working on my, my degree in education, and and this was an education issue. Um, And so since then, I've really been able to kind of speak, you know, all over the country about, you know, issues of equity and education and how something like that is not just an error, right? And, and I also got to talk to the CEO of McGraw-Hill at the time, which, you know, he had a terrible excuse for how that happened or whatever. Of course, it wasn't right. their fault, but whatever.
0: You got to go through a lot of channels before it end up in that book. I know a little something. Come a on now. A lot
1: of channels. It
0: wasn't just somebody in the basement. It was like, we, I'm going to make this caption. Like, right. A and, lot of people had to sign off on that.
1: Which is the problem with who's sitting at the table, right? So if yep. everybody sitting at the table is from a, is or if they're all white, none of them are marginalized. Yeah. They don't, that kind of thing doesn't like my husband always say, It doesn't grate on them you know what i'm saying they read that and just go oh okay right and so i've been able to have some of those conversations about equity in education and how when you erase the experience of black people by calling them workers because workers implies wages like that we're right. sanitizing history and we see even now like because history has been so sanitized you have people saying things like the word you know calling a white woman karen is a slur you know like right we so sanitized things and, and and whitewashed it and watered it down that nobody is talking about the, atroc- the atrocities of slavery um I right read a post where somebody was saying you know we need to stop calling them plantations and calling death camps and i thought you know
0: fair enough i, fair I mean enough. when you think about it yeah
1: what else was it? No, nobody yeah. expects you to live a long life. I mean, they're going to work you, they're going to kill you or work you to death. Like,
0: yeah, I mean, you know, you'll you hear that term. People talk about slave traders and they want to interchange that with human traffickers. Yeah. Because it's, you know, let's <laughs> just, there's a movement to modernize these things yes. to make them, you know, make them more accurate for today's society because, you know, that's the, the thing you're talking about. It's a very small microcosm of how we got to where we are now because you have these people that are defending these Confederate statues who have a complete alternate history yeah. of what happened. Right. And, but they didn't get that way without the United States education system right. pushing them that way.
1: Pushing them that way. I mean, you like you said, you literally have people defending the Confederacy and defending these statues. Uh, I remember one time my son told me that um, they got in trouble in class because they said that the slave trade, I mean, that the Civil War was about slavery. And they said, well, my teacher said that's not right, that the Civil War was about states' rights. And I said, states' rights to own black people. Oh, slavery, yeah. (laughs) Yes, it is that. But we're not I'm talking about states' rights to for jaywalking. You know what I'm saying? Like right, right. It's not states rights for you know how many trees you're gonna put up at Central Hall. It's it's the right to right. own humans, to own children, to rape women, to lynch like that was what they wanted. That was the right that they wanted. Mm-hmm. And so, like you said, this whole sanitizing of US history has taught so many southern black folks and and, and maybe not just. Southern uh, Southern white folks, I'm sorry, that this idea of the Confederacy was about the the state's rights. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. but it's to own a human, y'all. Like it's
0: right. (laughs) My thing is this like if you want to keep Confederate statues, just put a statue of Nat Turner next to it. If we go tell the story, let's tell the whole story.
1: And the fact that not enough black people know about slave insurrections, like that that ought to tell you yeah because then that's also how you get conversations about plantations weren't that bad and happy slaves Mm -hmm. that was another campaign i worked on uh maybe about six months after the textbook story there was a
0: not happy slaves happy
1: there was a book coming out by scholastic and it was called a birthday cake for george and it was about a slave and his daughter who were baking a birthday cake for george washington and i think his name was maybe hercules i can't remember and the story goes on and you know he is he he loves to bake and he loves to bake cakes for the president and him and his daughter would be in the kitchen and he loved to go to work every day he didn't have no choice about going to work it wasn't like Hercules could say, you know what, President? I'm going
0: to call in.
1: I, I don't feel like cooking today. <laughs> so it was this whole idea. It, there was so much joy in the book. But they right, love right. to talk about plantations being these, and people love, oh, I'm going to do a plantation wedding. What? I'm oh, not coming boy. to that. I'm. No,
0: thank you. And we'll and, and we'll ask you to be, in, be it. in it. I got a friend. I got a friend who got asked to be in a plantation wedding, and the look on my face, black dude, the look on my face, I was like, so after you knocked him on the floor. So
1: how many of his teeth did you knock out? What right. teeth? Did you get him on right. the jaw? So you got side right. teeth?
0: <laughs> he said. He told me he said, "Let's just say uh, I probably won't be invited to the <laughs> wedding at all now." <laughs>
1: I'm telling you. So it's
0: just the audacity. And and
1: that's the thing. Like, that is the problem when we talk about education and we talk about not having, you know. So, one thing I talk about in my work is that kids need books that we call mirrors and windows, right? When a kid reads a book, they need to either see themselves, they first need to see themselves, but then that's a mirror book, right? I can see a black boy who grew up in Detroit. You can read that book about that's you. So now you're interested in the story because you see yourself in the story. Right. But then also, it's you also need to read a book about a Mexican immigrant and her family living at the border in Texas. Right. Because that's a story that's also important for your humanity. Right. It's important for you to see yourself, but also to see other people. And so I talk a lot about kids need mirrors and windows when they're reading. But, you know, when, when, we, when we don't give kids enough things to read where they can see themselves and they're told the truth about themselves and their people, there becomes this, this obsession with whiteness, right? If all the stories you read are about Lil House on the Prairie and Becky Sue and Chad and Summer Holmes, you there's this you just there's just this obsession with whiteness with like well that must be whatever right if all the stories of the south are these stories of like oh the old south oh southern cooking Mm. oh i had a mammy like wait a minute right (laughs) like you, you you can deem the old south as this place of love and whatever but but please understand that the old south means something real real different for black people and so Absolutely. there's like this obsession with, I think, telling the story and, and whitewashing what we teach our kids, uh, which is also why supplementing is important, right? It's it's important because there are too many kids who don't read uh, books where they see themselves until they're in college. Um, right. Soledad O'Brien came to U of H back in 2016. And she said, I always when I was growing up, I always knew what was in books was important because I knew that like if it's in a book, it's important. She said, but I never saw myself in a book, so I didn't know if I was important. And I was like, man, listen. And so think about what that feels like and looks like for our kids, right? Think about how further marginalized you feel if you are a Black trans kid and you've never seen a book about a Black trans kid. Think about how you feel if you come from a home with two moms and you've never seen a story about two... you think there's something wrong with you, you think,
0: right? Like, you're an anomaly, yeah. Like,
1: nobody must, oh, they don't write stories about black people, like that. Like, that is why those conversations are important, and that's why honestly, supplementing also has this role, even if you're even if there was no COVID 19, right? And the kids were just going to school like regularly. That was only my yeah, next question, like, even yeah. if there wasn't that, the supplementing is important because. If you get to going through your kid's backpack, I'm a big proponent of go through that backpack every night, see what they're doing, see what they're studying. Um, you'll see, you know, some of the things that your kids are learning or not learning. And so you'll be like, no, let let me let me go get a book for you because your teacher ain't telling you the truth. <laughs> right.
0: So. All right. Well, to that end, I got a question for you. How much. uh, How much of your supplementing is deprogramming?
1: So um, that depends on what you, how much deprogramming you want to do. You So when you're, so let me start here. When I decided to homeschool my daughter, my daughter is a pretty serious dancer. And so at the time when she decided, we decided to homeschool her, it was so that she could train more for dance without you know, having to be at school every day. She could train late in the evening, right? She could start training at four in the afternoon and go to 1030 at night and not have to worry about loads and loads of homework or whatever. We could start homeschool at 10 o'clock if we wanted to, right? Or not have school for that day for if we wanted to. Um, and so in that conversation, but when I started that, we definitely had to do unschooling, right? And part of the, the number one, first part of the unschooling was getting kids, getting her to be able to articulate what she wanted to learn so one of the first things I asked her I said okay so what kind what do you want to learn about science and she was like well I don't know just tell me I said well what do you want to know about and she was like I don't know I just I don't know just so we took and so I had to sort of take her through like well these are the kinds of sciences or whatever and she landed on chemistry now she was only in fifth grade so I had to go out and find like Chemistry for fifth grade is like, if I want, that's how we sort of got into like the bath bombs and the beauty things, because it's all chemistry, right? She still loves science to this day. Um, And so part of that sort of unschooling part is getting kids to be able to articulate what they want to learn. Uh, But then the deprogramming part comes in terms of the erasure, right? Asking your kids what they know and what they don't know, um, you'll learn pretty quickly how much people of color black people have been erased from the narrative um you you can't have a conversation in ninth grade biology about um genetics without having conversations about henrietta Lacks, you know but a lot of schools aren't having those conversations you know
0: i know i didn't get that
1: i didn't get until when i was, I was an adult you know yeah you know you can't have conversations about math when you don't talk about black mathematicians you can't have science conversation i mean like we're everywhere, right? And obviously we aren't the only, right? I mean, black people are all, all throughout every content area as our are Mexicans, as our South America, like as our people of color, as our native Americans, like there's so much, you know, American history is black and brown history. Like, but I, I think that's important. Like, you know, talking to your kids about what they know and then also asking them what they want to know. You know, that's, that'll be the part you know, that, um, when you're talking about supplementing, um, there, I guarantee you, there's something that your kids are going to learn that the teacher only has so much time to spend on it, but your kid would love to like go deep into it. Right. <clears throat> the, the state's mandated curriculum says you gotta move, you know, you're only going to study poetry for three weeks or something, but they may really be in love with poetry want to study it all year long. So you're your, uh, your supplementing will also look like that, right, is sort of getting them to a place of figuring out what they want to learn, gaps that you see, and then things that are important to you as well as a family. So as a Black family, it was always important for us to have conversations about uh, HBCUs in our home. It was also important for us to have conversations about the role that uh, the Black church played in the civil rights movement, um, and not even so much teaching them uh, in a didactic sense, like, you know, come to Jesus. But generally speaking, this is what the church as an organization was doing. Right. Right. That was an important piece of history for us. Right. And so thinking about that, um, you know, if you're a black person or a person of color, like what matters to you? Like what sort of, how do you want your, it's, it's the lens thing, right? I needed my kids to be able to look at the world and see the hand of whiteness and white supremacy and how that's been a dangerous thing for black people. It's been a deadly thing for black people and to be able to sort of dismantle that in their own minds. Um, we talk a lot about whiteness not being the metric right. You know, there mm-hmm. there's nothing that we do that is measured by whether or not white people do it or can do it or whatever, even though, don't or they like right? It. Even though, don't get me wrong. You know, all of us had that conversation with our parents. You got to work twice as hard to be half as good. Like, it's not that that isn't a real thing. It's not that, but it also uh, is a way for us. You know, we we want to talk to our kids about, you know, understanding that when you do something, white people don't have to approve it for it to be valuable. You know like if you wear your hair in bantu knots and you love it it's beautiful because you love it and black people think it's beautiful and black people have been wearing their hair like that forever kylie jenner doesn't need to approve it for it to be a thing or when kylie jenner does wear it this is how you call out cultural appropri- appropriation right this is how you call that out and say Oh uh, yeah no <laughs> Um so you you definitely have to think about that in terms of supplementing that sort of deprogramming please I'm glad you asked that because you do have to you have to sit with your kids you know and say and figure out what they don't know like what what is what do they teach you uh, and uh, and listen every parent can start with a conversation with the civil war ask ask your kids tomorrow tonight if you have kids that are probably 6th grade or up Ask them what they were taught about the Civil War and why. what were the causes of the Civil War. That, that's a good dinner time conversation.
0: Okay, it's a good starting <laughs> mm-hmm. point, huh? Mm-hmm. it is. I, I went to, I got lucky as a kid because I have always had black male teachers from the very beginning. I think the first black male teacher I had was in second that's grade. That's awesome,
2: that's awesome. So
0: second grade all the way through high school, I had at least one black male awesome. teacher. And I went to this wild militant school. Like when I was like fifth or eighth grade, it was called the Catherine C. Blackwell Institute of International Studies, Commerce, and Technology. We wore we wore kente cloth. It was what we had. Now it was the sc- the name of the school was longer than the school. We just had one hallway and 10 rooms. But them people- Listen, they
1: got y'all right. On they it. got y'all together. They, I
0: tell you. I knew a lot more than a lot of people. When I got to high school, it was like, and these were kids, they went to private school, you know, up here. And they went to all these other places. And they may have had certain things, but it was a lot of stuff they were missing. And I'm like, man, they taught us this with this little old school we went to. And uh, yeah, so I was blessed. I was very fortunate to grow up. People, I mean, they look just like me. Teaching me. So I know how important that is. That's part of the reason I'm probably so damn wild. Now. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, because I've just I've seen people look like me wilding That's out so awesome. forever. So it's yeah, it's important. It's it's super important. Like I tell people all the time, like, you know, you want to put your kids in a private school. I understand that. I understand they got resources that you may not have, you know, at these other schools. But to have your kids around kids that look like them, that and have them be taught right. by people who look yep. like them, I think is more is is. More, now I don't have kids, so you know I'm not an expert, but I think it, it's more important for for them to yep. have that than for them to have a, a bowling alley in their school, yeah. like yeah, you know,
1: you you ain't lying. You ain't lying. You are not lying. It is. That that matters. And I'm so glad that you had that experience with so many Black male teachers. That's powerful. Uh-huh. Uh, there's so much research out there about the importance of Black teachers. And, you know, there's research out there about the great exodus and how black, so many Black teachers, because of integration, were pushed out of education. Uh, it's just been this this kind of slow leak of, of Black people leaving the profession. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing... You know, there's definitely a push to put more uh, black teachers in classrooms, specifically black male teachers, but black male teachers whose job is not to just be uh, the disciplinarian. So a lot of black male teachers right. talk a lot about how the reason they left education was because people just wanted them to wrangle the kids. Just,
0: break just fight. get them.
1: Just get here. Get a whistle. You know, they don't want you to be a content specialist. They don't want you to be brilliant at math. If you are brilliant in math, they're like, yeah, but mostly can you do ISS and break up the fights and coach football? So the push is definitely to get more and more content area uh teachers uh, that are black in the back in schools, because uh, it's so necessary, you know. Um, one of my favorite uh scholars is Dr. Alfred Tatum. He's out of Chicago, um, and he's he he tweets this probably once a week, and he always says, um, teaching is black man's work. And it's just like, he's always sort of pushing that narrative that like, this isn't, you know, work that's not for you. Like we're needed in this work. We need your voice in this work. We need your presence or whatever. So I think that's a really cool push uh, as well as, is, is thinking about it in terms of those.
0: I mean, I look at it like acting. You can't, there's certain stories that you can't tell if you don't have the right type that's right. of actor. That's right. You know, like, you know, you need a black, in in this movie, you uh, this character is a black yes. man, such and yeah. such. You gotta have that. You gotta have them that's all. Right. Yeah. And it's good for white kids to have. Black Listen,
1: teachers. that's the that is what the research tells us is that it's not just for black kids, but it is for white mm-hmm. kids. It's it's very important mm-hmm. for them to have a black teacher. It really, really is. It really is.
0: Yeah. Really is. I mean, because you know, it's a lot of times you can go through this is one of the things I get into on stage. Sometimes I have a hard time with certain crowds because they may go a whole year and never have to be quiet and listen to a black person while they
1: Correct. speak. Correct. Correct.
2: At
0: work. They don't have no black bosses. They don't have no black coworkers. <laughs> they kids, teachers ain't black. It ain't they, ain't. they ain't seen a black police officer. They ain't seen nothing. So that them just Shutting up for 25 30 minutes while I'm on stage is an it issue for them, is, yeah. You know, because they just don't have that interaction, so
2: it's, it's big, it's I'm, big,
0: yeah. Um, we talked about supplementing. I don't, if you're talking about starting from scratch, you really covered that when you talked about going to get the different subjects and different books and yeah. stuff, so it's not really a whole lot to really yeah. add to that. Um, I had let me check my notes
1: real quick. And can I add something to starting from scratch if you oh, one thing you also want to check is check with your state to see what they require of homeschool. So every state has homeschool rules. If you're in Texas and you're listening to this, we have like almost we don't have any rules. You can just do it because Texas is a big like religious freedom state so they homeschool counts as one of those religious schools. And so there's really no regulation on it. Literally when I put my daughter back in public school from homeschool, I just typed up a report card. That's it. Like, that's all I did. I said, this did, and just gave it to them. So, but every state wow. is different. Some States, you know, they want your kids to, you know, so check with your state. That's going to be where you all should start is check with your state on what the rules for homeschool are. Um, and then go from there.
2: Okay. Listen, this, listen this I book was book so
1: shocked. I was like, okay, what? And like, you can literally just tell them what grade, if I wanted to, like, I put her back in school in seven. So we homeschooled in fifth and sixth grade. And I put her back in in seventh. I could have literally told them people she was in eighth grade and, and made her up and they would have just said, okay. So yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, you know, it's a it's a lot of them fundy kids. Mm-hmm.
1: They out there. You know, these kids
0: you ain't seen in 10 years. They yep. just come back.
1: See, Seniors. Like, listen, I know, I know some homeschool families who homeschool through high school. And there are a couple of really small private colleges in the United States. I don't know where they are. I can't think of them off the top of my head. Who cater specifically to homeschool kids. If you went to homeschool through 12th grade, Come to our college. The transition is easy. Tell you, I yeah. Tell you, it happens.
0: So okay. So just for my own curiosity, how does the standardized testing work?
1: You,
0: you just sink or swim. They just toss you. Like if you went you through you uh, high school. I mean, you
1: can take the SAT. Everybody can take the SAT. But like whatever yeah. state mandated. That's why it depends on your state. So in Texas, if I homeschooled okay. my daughter until she graduated. She wouldn't, We our state test is called the STAR test. She wouldn't take the STAR test. She, I mean, nothing, nothing. She wouldn't, they're, they're, she could take the AP exam through a college board for, for she could do that, but no, Mm-mm. so yeah, your state, but your state will mandate. I know there's a few states that like, if you homeschool, they give you a curriculum. Like these are the things you have to do. So in that way, they sort of set you up but there are plenty of States and I would, you know, venture to say all these States are probably States that went to Trump, um, that don't have a whole lot of homeschool rules. Okay.
0: Yeah. Oh, that seems by design yeah. as if we yeah. want these people to be uneducated. Yeah, funny. Hmm. Funny
2: interesting. So interesting. <laughs>
0: Man. So, all right. So is there any, is there anything else? uh that you feel like people should know is there anything we miss anything so- else but on this, your mind this is something you that I, I,
1: there's two things number one i really want to encourage all parents out there to become readers find you some books that you love to read let your children see you reading all the time let them see reading as a valuable activity um we, I call them emergency books. So whenever we leave the house, when my kids were little, they had to bring a book in case we got stuck in traffic or we got stuck you know, getting the oil change. You can always read a book. So that's number one. Number two, for black and brown families and children, stay on the school's asses. Do not let them, quote unquote, do your children. Um, we call it the push out. You know, we see kids, black and brown kids get suspended. So my research was in black boys reading in the school to prison pipeline. <clears throat> and we see black kids get suspended and they're in detention and black and brown kids and and it's just out of control. And so the example I tell to people all the time, and it's probably the most heartbreaking example, but it, it really drives home the point. Um, Trayvon Martin was serving a school suspension when George Zimmerman killed him. His school suspected that he had marijuana because he had a baggie in his backpack and they said it smelled like marijuana. So he was suspended for 10 days and his mom didn't want him to be at, home, at her place because she was at work, so she sent him to, her, to his dad's. And so when you think about how, what that, that means, that had he been in school right that means something that's why we don't want kids out of school because they're more likely to encounter especially black kids and brown kids right they're more likely to encounter law enforcement when they're out of school because if your kid gets suspended it ain't like you can just take off from work oh my kid got suspended for four days i'm not going to work they're probably gonna have to sit at home kids do naughty things (laughs) right Um, And so I always tell black and brown parents, make sure you advocate for your kids. When your kids tell you somebody is at their school treating them funny, they just feel like their teacher doesn't like them. I want you to believe them because the reason that we have the school to prison pipeline is not just because this magical thing happened and kids just started getting suspended. It happened because 80% of the teaching profession is white. And we see schools are going to mirror the society that they're in. So black boys are being suspended in kindergarten in third grade, like you're six in the kindergarten. <laughs> like what could you be doing that I would tell you not to, at six, I ain't met a six year old I can't handle. I, and I've, I've, I, I just, cause we can have a conversation cause I could at least give them some candy and make them sit down. <laughs> right <laughs> like, you know what if you will sit right here when i go in schools i always tell kids to call me ronnie if you will sit right here with me if you sit here with ronnie and you're quiet when we go to the cafeteria i'm gonna buy you a bag of chips okay like so <laughs> they they, they eat-
0: Ruffle diplomacy. <laughs> they easy.
1: they easy. Why they gotta be suspended? Um, so, but again, I, that's one area that I also, you know, work with parents especially on is making sure that you advocate for your kids and you stay, and it is exhausting. Like, and it's unfair. It's unfair that you have to think of these things all the time because white families don't have to, they often don't have to do that, right? They're not, they're not sending their kids to school thinking, I hope somebody doesn't mistreat them. They're just going, that's school. But when you have a child that's black or brown, that's something you got to think about. You're like, is this teacher not letting them do this? turn this assignment in late because that's policy or is it because it's my kid? Do they let other kids do it? So you have to be on your P's and Q's. Uh, One thing I always say, especially when you're talking about older kids, this is my last piece. You have a child that's anywhere between 6th and 12th grade, you tell the school from day one, my child is never to speak to an adult by themselves. If my child is in trouble, like, oh, we think somebody started a fight or there's a food fight, my child is to never, ever be in a room with an adult by themselves talking. Because we see these conversations happen, happen to my son. Just admit that you cheated and then you won't, you won't be in as much, you won't get ISS, you'll just get detention. And my son was like, but I didn't Mm -hmm. cheat. Just admit it and we won't be upset. Like these are things that happen to black and brown children um, in schools. So that's my one piece of advice for sixth to 12th grade kids and parents. If an adult pulls you in the room because you're quote unquote in trouble, you tell them I can't talk to you until my mom comes or until we get my mom on the phone. Um, And that's just a way to hopefully safeguard kids and keep kids in classrooms. because we see that you know when when they think that you're guilty as a black and brown kid the first thing they gonna do is put you out and now you're losing instruction and then it goes on your record so they say oh robert got put out in in sixth grade he got a suspension and then you're in the now you're in the pipeline you've been suspended you get detention you get in school suspension you get out of school suspension and they literally are institutionalizing you and by the time you get you know, 10th or 11th grade, you don't even know how to function in a classroom every day. Now, I've seen kids who had so much suspension and in-school suspension, they'll say to me, I don't really want to be in class. I would rather just go to ISS and sit in the cubicle and do my work. Like, we failed.
2: At right. So, they, haven't they, ha- socialized. Right. so yeah. they would
1: rather sit in a box that has walls up on the side and just do worksheets. So... <sighs> Wish I could end on a more positive note, but make sure. (laughs) That's all right. Hey, (laughs) that's all right. I appreciate it. Be diligent about that with your kids, you know, because, you know, while I I love teachers, I love school, I love education. There's a whole lot of teachers out there who literally see black and brown children come in their classrooms. And those kids are guilty from from the time they step over the threshold, period, because they exist. Mm. And I just believe that they need to know that you're not the one. I'm don't play with my kid. My kid ain't the one. I ain't the one. I'll be here every day if I have to be. Like they they need and yeah. it's sad that you have to like sort of lay out that threat, but I always tell them it ain't a threat, it's a promise. I'll be here. right. <laughs> I'll do it.
0: Right. And they they tend to act better, obviously. Yeah. If they know, if if they know, if they know you involved. All right. So um if people are interested in looking you up and where can people find you on the internet?
1: I am all over the internet. Um, (laughs) they can follow me on Facebook at Ronnie. That's R-O-N-I Buren, B-U-R-R-E-N. I I am on Twitter, um, at Dr. Ronnie. So it's D-R-R-O-N-I underscore. And then I'm also on Instagram and my Instagram name is Dr. Period Ronnie. So, any version of Dr. Ronnie, you're going to find me. <laughs> any version of Dr. Ronnie, you'll be able to find me. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.
0: Okay. And you, do you have a website? I do.
1: I do. Uh, my website is RonnieDeanBuren.com, Um And if you tune in in the next week or so, you'll see my blog. I'll start back blogging. I blogged a couple of years ago and I stopped, but I'm getting back to my writing because writing is important. Um, so I'm there for blogging. Um, and then I also have a couple of uh, events that are coming up. I teach a whites-only workshop for to teach white people how they can help with dismantling racism. So tune in. Nice.
0: So, all right. Well, this has been this has been enlightening great. informative and uh this is I'm so thankful I'm so thankful that you decided to come on this is this is going to be something that people are going to get a lot good, of benefit
1: from. good listen I talk school yeah, every so. day all day I'll come back if you need me to come back I'm sure people have questions okay. um but yeah I, again I could talk school all day, every day uh, from kinder to 12th grade, reading, writing, math. And what I don't know, I'll tell you. I don't know that, but let me find out (laughs) because I got a lot of teacher friends. (laughs) Okay. All
0: right. You have a good one.
1: You too. All right. Bye. Bye.
0: Well, that was the episode. Thank you so much for tuning in to How to Survive in America. I've been your host, Robert Jenkins. Until next time, take care.